This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 6, Episode 29, Writing Character Foils. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. All right, we're going to talk about character foils, and Mary is going to define a foil for us. In fiction, a foil is a character who contrasts with another character, usually the protagonist, in order to highlight various features of that other character's personality, throwing these characteristics into sharper focus. Wikipedia. Computer T. Earl Grey. Hot. Um, (laughs) 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 um, (laughs) That was very good. Thank Thank you, you. Mary. Um, You should read things for a living. You know, maybe I will. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, For this podcast, I want to start to view our listeners thinking about maybe creating some of your characters in pairs. Um, Because it is one great way to pull out a character by creating a foil for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's, let's talk about some of the great types of foil pairs that you can have in a book. Um, let, me, let me start off with the, the basic one. Okay? You guys all kind of give me blank Yeah, you're going to... Yeah, it's like so you're, this you're, moment of panic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Throw us a softer pitch, Mr. Sanderson. <laughs> like, I can think of examples of particular We're not foils, that smart. But... I say it every time. <laughs> one of the basic ways is um, the comedic foil and the straight man. Um, mm-hmm. And one is a foil for the other. Meaning, you have one character who's pretty deadpan and it, that sets up jokes for the other character to make wisecracks about. Um, and these foils work very well because what they do is they highlight one another's differences. In one case, you've got the smart aleck who maybe is going to be a little more impulsive, who's not going to think things through. Timeless um, classics like like Krusty the Clown and Sideshow Bob. Okay, yep, yep. That's a timeless classic there. Um, they, the, but the, the whole idea here is you highlight each other's strengths and weaknesses by contrasting these characters. You will find this very often in buddy movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon are yeah. basically foils for the one another. straight-laced older guy yep. and the crazy loose cannon guy. Yep, yep. yep. And one will make the wise cracks and one will figure out the, the deep problems. And they work very well together because one has what the other needs in, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of situations. And a lot of the time, uh, I, authors will find themselves doing this by accident. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just the, I have a novella in an anthology that just came out that uh, the main character was very inward and very morose. Mm-hmm. And constantly, you know, not talking to anyone because he was shy and felt bad about himself. So when the villain showed up, he turned out to be incredibly talkative and very exuberant. And because the story needed that other half. Right. And so when you plan ahead, you can do it even better. Yeah. Um, another big um, type of foil is the, um, the, the, the Sherlock Holmes Watson. Um, mm-hmm. The really eccentric character who does not have um, a grounding in common sense mixed with the character who is common sense, streetwise, who can, you know, in one case, Sherlock is often brilliant at figuring things out, but he misses some of the simple things that Watson will point out for him. So Watson is an everyman grounding the Superman together to create a pair that we sympathize with, with one being like us and one that we want to be like. And together they kind of create a whole that is very compelling for us. And there's also the, uh, the plucky sidekick and the hero. Okay, yes. 
Um, I mean, classic example is, of course, Batman and Robin. Yes. But you also see that in a lot of other uh, places. Anyone can feel free to jump in and help me. <laughs> no, 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 this is great. Because, oh, again, um, the, from, again, from classic movies, uh, Last Action Hero. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, but, you know, <laughs> Thank this, you for that. A, a deeper level of this, I think, is also the, um, the wise mentor and the young apprentice mm -hmm. is basically what that is. Um, the, the veteran who's been around for a while and the newcomer, who maybe has a lot of energy but has a lot to learn. Uh, you put these together and they highlight each other. Well, the difference, uh, I will say, with those is which one is the hero of the story. Yep. Uh, with the, the wise mentor and the, uh, the newcomer, the newcomer is almost always the yep. hero and, and the wise mentor is the, the yep. foil there. Yep. Yeah, if you make the, uh, the mentor the hero, then mm -hmm. you get, have that sidekick relationship. Yes. Yep. It's the same relationship but... Yeah, that's actually really an interesting way to look at it, but I've never viewed it that way before. Yeah, and um, actually, if you look at the role of Obi-Wan Kenobi mm -hmm. in the uh, giant Star Wars arc, that is actually a place where he changes from being yep. plucky sidekick to being wise mentor. Yep, it does. Um, but he serves as foil in both cases. So let's, um, let's, let's talk about creating this. Um, I can see a couple ways to approach this. One way is you're building your main character and something is missing. Um, how do you go about, have you ever designed, as Dan did, a foil just for a character that you felt so, there was a hole in? Yes. Okay, Howard, go for it. <clears throat> um, I love, and, and this, is, this is, you know, sort of author's message warning here. I love both science and religion. I uh -huh. love the discovery of personal principles through faith. I love the discovery of scientific principles, you know, world operating principles through experimentation. And in the Schlock Mercenary Universe, I have Kevin, the mad scientist, and uh, Rev Theo, the theologian, and some of my favorite strips to write are when the two of them are arguing. Mm. Because that is when Kevin, who doesn't want to believe in a god, doesn't need to believe in a god, will argue with Theo, who absolutely feels like, you know, faith is critically important, and how can you center yourself without this? And I've had people... Uh, respond to strips where the two of them have been arguing, the same strip. I've got an email from people who said, oh, thank you so much for not making religion just be a straw man, for actually representing it well. And somebody else will email me and say, oh, thank you so much for fairly representing science in this discussion, because I know how religious you are. Uh -huh. um, and so I felt from that that I'd done it right. But when I look at the two of them as an actual, you know, foil, uh -huh. one for another, or one to the other, I wasn't thinking about it in those terms, um, and so when you look at the stories now, you know, Kevin is far more important to the story, or has been in, in you know, past books, than Theo is, um, and so I, I don't know that the balance is necessarily right. there, but that was definitely how I created them. I, I, um, in <laughs> I'm just going to say a sentence that I have not actually said, but I'm going to enjoy very much. In my Hugo award-winning short story. <laughs> well <Sorry>. then, name dropping <laughs> yourself. <Ooh. laughs> I knew Mary before she was a Hugo award winner. I'm so excited about it still. But um, for those of you not benefiting from the video, she just blushed. <laughs> the same color as her hair. Yeah, it was Mary really went all warm. monochromatic. It's awesome. Uh, boy, that was not a good plan to bring this up. But um, <laughs> But in For One of a Nail, um, I have uh, the main character and was having difficulty. The plot was not mm -hmm. moving. Um, it was dull. And, um, and so I gave her a brother. Uh, and 
Mm -hmm. the, the sibling pair is another classic type. But I gave her a brother who had very good reasons for having uh, rivalry with her, and for and that created a conflict through the thing, and and allowed them to um, to act as you know, showing the differences, act as foils for each other. But I, one of the reasons that I created that was because um, she was too nice on her own mm. without someone, someone to needle right. her. Right, that um, and that worked very well. That relationship pair. Um, I've actually got an example of this, but I'm going to hold it till after we do our book of the week because I'm going to let Mary tell us about a wonderful book. Yes, and that is Late Eclipses by Shauna McGuire, and I narrated it um, for full disclosure. <laughs> uh, but this is the narrated by Mary Hugo Award-winning <laughs> Mary Robinette Kowal. <laughs> uh, so. Um, I, I very much enjoy the uh, the Shauna McGuire books, but one of the things that she has done uh, with these is that she has introduced um, a foil character. She's actually got a couple for October Day. Um, these are wonderful mysteries. They really move. Um, and one of the things that's interesting is that there is a character who is who is um, October's Day's doppelganger, essentially okay. her fetch. So on the surface, they appear to be the same character but they have just enough differences that it makes each of them very distinct mm. and very interesting, interesting way to play off of each other. Yeah, and that's exactly what we're talking about in this podcast is using contrast to show how distinctive people, your characters can be. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So, name of that um, book again? Late Eclipses by Shauna McGuire. Howard, how do they get it? Head on out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. You can start a 14-day free trial membership and download this or any number of other fine titles. Excellent. Now, um, my example of this is very similar to Mary's. Um, if any of you have read my book, Way of Kings, um, there was one big thing that, you know, Dan can attest to this, the writing group was just having big problems with it. It was one of the characters. It was actually kind of, in my vision, the soul of the, um, of the series, a character named Dalinar, who is this, um, this aged, um, older, middle-aged man who is um, kind of struggling with his place in the kingdom, um, struggling between, you know, whether he's going to be a spiritual man or a warlord and some of these things, and it was just not working. It wasn't working at all. Part of the reason is that he's, he, was, um, he was starting to see these visions and worried that he's going insane. Um, and his contrast between feeling that these visions were real and worrying about going insane actually wasn't working because it made the character too inactive. He kept wishy-washing. Wishy-washying? He kept being wishy-washy. <laughs> waffling. Waffling between, oh, I'm going insane. Oh, I'm seeing these visions. I should have faith in them. Um, and it, was, it, was, it made a character who couldn't do anything and felt very weak. I split out the I'm going insane to his son. Made his son have a lot of viewpoint um, um, uh, viewpoints where he said, "Oh no, my father is seeing these things. He's going insane. What do I do that my when my father that I love is going senile?" And then left Dalinar with a, "I have to have belief in these things because if I don't believe in what I'm seeing, then the um then I'm going insane, and I just don't want to accept that possibility." Mm -hmm. And by having that be a contrast. By, from two characters instead of one character waffling, the end result was a much more active protagonist, which worked wonderfully in the book because there, there could be that contrast between two characters. And also, per the, per the Wikipedia definition, um, yeah. it casts that contrast into sharper focus mm -hmm. for us, the reader. We can see much more clearly what a character believes right. when we see that 
in the POV of another character who is disagreeing with yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it also makes it an external conflict rather than an internal conflict, yep. which is inherently more interesting. Right. Internal conflicts flicks are great, but the longer you go on them, the more we get into navel-gazing, wallowing in our problems, and mm -hmm. the more boring the actual writing becomes. Yeah, so one of the things you can actually do is, when you're looking at creating that foil character, is look at your character's internal conflicts and think about how you can externalize them. Yeah, have somebody that keeps pointing this out to mm -hmm. them. That's wonderful. Now, a true foil, though, to work really well, I believe ha there has to be reciprocation. Yes. Um, the foil has to be missing something also that the character that they're quote-unquote foiling is then offering to them. You complete me. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Okay, I got an example here from my books, John Cleaver and you Mr. Crowley. Books? I do. Wow. Isn't that neat? I should read one yeah, of these. Yeah, yeah I uh, haven't won any Hugos. <laughs> so uh, who has? I'm yeah, sitting on know. the wrong couch. But uh, no, John Cleaver and Mr. Crowley, sorry for the spoiler, guys, for the first book. But uh, I had this character of John Cleaver who, you know, is very dark and feels very separated from humanity and contrasted him very specifically and, and for very, you know, I planned this all out. Uh, I wanted the villain to be someone who is much less human than John is, but who can connect with humanity much better right. than he can. That, that foil relationship is beautiful because you've got the human who can't connect with humans and the monster who can. Mm -hmm. um, and so who is the monster and who is the, the person? Yeah, you know? and, and in, in light of what you were just saying, that each foil has to offer something to the other one, what I did not expect, and yet what I can see very clearly looking at the book, is that that kind of turned the bad guy almost into a father figure yeah. for John. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, you know, it, you can see that very strongly in books two and three. He keeps looking back at this monster as a, you know, a driving influence in his life. Surrogate father, sort of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people write and they ask us, how can I make my villains more engaging, more interesting, more sympathetic, because a really sympathetic villain is awesome. Um, one of the ways to do this is to actually make them a foil for the main character in that there are things they offer the main character, things they have that the main character wants. Mm -hmm. That'll make the villain hugely sympathetic to us because if we love the main character and can see in the villain something the villain has that the main character is just struggling to get we'll actually have that kind of that that electricity between them yeah. yes well and when you say the villain has something to offer the main character that's not purely in the sense of like a faustian bargain right yeah your villain can be doing that but also you know has something genuinely valuable right that if the villain has a family and the main character has always wanted one something like that you know less to offer and more that the villain has something that the character is striving for mm -hmm. um it, it's gonna it's gonna work wonderfully yeah and this is how you keep your foil from being scrappy do yeah yeah because you give them <laughs> you give them a character arc you give them a reason for being there you give them you yeah. give them something to bring to the table besides um hello i am your comic relief yep yep all right uh this has been a, a great podcast um i think uh, since we're, Mary's been uh, bragging a little bit. <laughs> you're Doom! Gonna do the, <laughs> no, we love you, Mary. Yes. You haven't been bragging. You were rightly proud <laughs> of, your, of your short story. Um, will so, you give us a, a, a writing prompt? Yes. Um, what I want you to do is I want you to come up with a list of five character pairs and then pick the one that is most interesting to you and write about them. All right. Thank you all for listening. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write.
If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.